One of the great country stars of the late 90s and early 2000s in the 1994 ACM New Female Vocalist winner, Shelly Wright, joins us in the Honky Tonk Time Machine tonight. Shelly, welcome to the show. Thanks for being a part of it. Oh, I'm so glad to be on with you, Glenn. And Shelly was born right here in Missouri, other side of the state, Kansas City, raised in Kansas. But we do have that Midwest connection. I'm a hometown girl. Yeah. Uh, born in... Born and raised uh, Kansas City Chiefs, Kansas City Royals fan, which doesn't maybe comport with a lot of y'all down over there. Uh, you guys may be uh, St. Louis fans, uh, but but I am a Midwestern girl through and through, and I've been gone. I moved to Nashville when I was 18, but I'm always going to be a Midwestern girl. Well, we've adopted the Chiefs. We haven't adopted the Royals yet, but we have adopted the Chiefs. (laughs) (laughs) How great was that last year? Yeah, that was pretty nice, especially considering our team over here abandoned us. So we had to adopt the Chiefs, and and they brought it home for us. We got you you covered, didn't we? It was much appreciated. But so, yeah, growing up in the Midwest, I know you did a lot in Branson as you were coming up, and then later on, Opryland and Nashville. Was performing in those places kind of what got you started? Well, you know, on paper, I guess it it could look like that was a start, but, uh, you know, uh, as anyone in entertainment would tell you, a lot goes into getting your first break, right? So I played, I was playing clubs and honky-tonks and funerals and weddings and nursing homes, anywhere I could, you know, plug a piano in and, and a microphone in from, you know, around age 11, believe it or not. I was subbing in and out of country bands. I even got fired from one once. <laughs> Uh, and, and that's what prompted me to start my own regional band called County Line uh, in my teenage years. And then I, uh, between my junior and senior year of high school, I got hired uh, to be a featured female vocalist, as they called it, uh, in Branson at the Ozark Jubilee. And then the very next summer is the summer I moved to Nashville and worked at Opryland for a few seasons. And that led to my uh, getting a publishing contract and, and then my first record deal. So uh, you know, Branson and Opryland were hugely important in my career. So a publishing deal comes from that, and eventually a record deal. Was it that Opryland exposure that helped get that done then, or what? You know, it's kind of weird uh, the way it worked back then. Like, Opryland was a whole different kind of ecosystem. Um, and Music Row didn't go out to Opryland to look for talent. Uh, but on occasion, Opryland talent would head to Music Row to look for opportunities. And um, a few folks did that. The uh, Diamond Rio guys, their, their band started at Opryland. And oh. the Lone Star guys, they started uh, at Opryland. And the show I was in, I was actually in the show with a couple of the Lone Star guys as they put their band together. Um, you know, Ty Herndon was uh, from Opryland as well. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I lucked out in that I got to uh, I got hired by Porter Wagner in that uh, first year that I was in Nashville in the off season when I wasn't working at Opryland. He took me on the road with him and took me on the Opry and, you know, was really kind of my mentor. And um, and he uh, he was doing his best to kind of help my songwriting and, you know, uh, give me guidance, which was incredible, invaluable and generous. Um, and then I, I started basically stalking people on Music Row. I, I, I started with Harold Shedd, who had produced Alabama, um, KT Oslin. It was really the reason that I kind of set my sights on him because that 80s Ladies album oh, yeah. that KT made was so, such a narrative body of work. And I just, I loved, I could tell just by listening to the record that he had a, full belief in female songwriters. And so I started, I, I finally got an appointment with, appointment with Harold Shedd and started playing in my songs, playing my demos. And 
we uh, we I had a meeting with him every other Tuesday for months and months, and then he finally just said, "Who's your attorney?" And I, I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "Well, we can't do a record deal without an attorney. You better get one." And that's kind of how that happened. So you hunted down an attorney then? <laughs> yeah, I did. I, you know, I asked him if he knew of a good attorney, and uh, he told me call Craig Hayes. So I called <laughs> Craig Hayes, and he did my first record deal. And uh, you know, it's. I look back on those times, and I think I was just feeling my way through the world, uh, through the industry, with not a lot of, uh, you know, I didn't know much, but I had just the right people at the right moments kind of step in and and show some kindness and mentorship, and Porter Wagner was one of those, uh, Bobby Braddock, Harlan Howard. Harold Shedd, um, Buddy Cannon. I, I really got lucky. Yeah, so that's a list of some pretty big names right there. The biggest one being Porter Wagner, another Missouri guy, West Plains. What was it like to work with Porter? Uh, you know, Porter, I knew a lot about Porter when I got to Nashville because I had been kind of a student of 50s, 60s, 70s country, and I was a big Porter and Dolly fan. And, um, you know, I, I, I was so drawn to Porter's, showmanship um when he first hired me he first saw me on the grand Ole opry and that's when he he was over in the wings and when i walked off the stage of the grand Ole opry after my first performance in 1989 just a few months after i got to nashville um he uh he was in the wings and he handed me a card and he said and i knew who i knew who he was i didn't need his <laughs> card but i looked at it and it said country music star Porter Wagner. <laughs> and he said, girl, I like your singing. So I, I called him and he began, you know, critiquing my songs and asking me questions. And I'd sing for him, much like it went years later with Harold Shedd. But Porter, he believed in me as a songwriter and he offered me a job as his, he called it, girl singer. So I went on the road with him for, uh, a, you know, a couple of years off and on when I could, when I wasn't working at Opryland. And I learned, it's one thing to read about the skill of entertainment from books or to see it in a movie or to hear about it on the radio, but to actually be on stage and learn kind of an apprenticeship from one of the greatest entertainers in the world ever. Uh, no one really connected with audiences the way that uh, Porter did. And I believe it had a lot to do with his having grown up in West Plains and having, you know, spent time there near the Ozark Mountains and understanding people the way he did. I learned so much. It was like going to college for the country music entertainers. And, and he was so generous, and everyone who worked for him, uh, you know, they adored him. And I adored him. We had a, you know, a bit of a complicated relationship in that I, you know, I was 18, 19, 20 at the time, and I had my own ideas about things, and you know, he was an old, older guy at the time who had, you know, Grammys and awards, and he had a lot of, uh, you know, he had a lot of swagger. Um, but the one thing, uh, he listened to me, you know, when I would push back on something and say, no, Porter, I really think this is the line for the chorus, because we wrote songs together on occasion, too. Um, despite his long pedigree and a list of accomplishments, when I dug my heels in and and you know, fought him on something, he actually listened to me. And the older I get and the more I reflect on what that di dynamic was, I have to I have to give Porter kudos that that he gave me the respect that he did. How much of that do you think had to 
had to do with the fact that he had worked with Dolly Parton and, and Dolly probably had to go through a lot of those same things as you did as far as kind of fighting him on, on some things and how much did he kind of learn to maybe ease up a little bit by working working with her? God, you know what, Glenn? That's a great question and I don't I don't know that, you know, I haven't shared what I just shared with you with anyone about the complexities of my relationship with Porter. Um, so no one's ever given me that feedback before. That's really... I think you could be on to something. I mean, he learned a lot from Dolly. Um, obviously, he taught her a lot, but he also learned a lot from Dolly. And, I, and you know, they had some complicated days, too, and that's, those are Dolly's stories to tell. But I do know, as Porter got, you know, aged and had all of those years under his belt and, and years away from having been so close in proximity um, career-wise with Dolly... I know it. I know she taught him a lot, and she she humbled him in a lot of ways. Um, so he very well could have been doing that calculus in his head as as me, this you know new as I, this new young uh, whippersnapper with these new ideas about you know mixing contemporary country music and traditional country music. You know, maybe when I pushed him a little bit, maybe he did take a beat, and maybe he did have uh, a, a thought about you know what would Dolly hope that I would do in this moment. Um, so we, you know, that's a really good thing to think about. I'm going to spend some time thinking about that now that you posed the question. <laughs> yeah, I, I just love hearing Porter Wagner stories and hearing the stories of him and Dolly and how you know she wanted to leave and he didn't want her to go, and then she she wrote the song, you know, I will always love you. It's just, it, I always find that stuff interesting. So well, I mean, it's it's um, it's illustrative of the you know the the bonds that are formed when you make music and when you make art together, and um, you know it. It always happens that, you know, no one's career ever grows on the same exact trajectory. And obviously Dolly Parton would never have become Dolly Parton that she is without Porter Wagner. Um, conversely, Porter Wagner, uh, the same could be said about Porter. Um, Dolly Dolly became something in, in, in a part of his career that, you know, it. Um, she introduced a lot of people to Porter Wagner uh, there were, nobody was bigger than the, than Porter and Dolly when they were a duo. I mean, hands down, that was it. Um, so I think those those stories are important to tell and to understand, especially if you're a lover of the history of country music the way that you are, and I, I know your listeners are as well. Now, did you have any other major influences? I know you come from a pretty musical family, right? Well, no one loved songwriters more than my mother. And by the way, it's my mother's birthday. Oh. Uh, she's, uh, she would have been 72 uh, this September, um, this month. Um, no one loved country music more than my mom, and my mom is a really good singer, and my dad was a really is a really good uh, acoustic guitar player. And that's just, those are the things I remember from my childhood, uh, that we would all just sit around, grab an instrument, and play along. And it was cousins, aunts, uncles, everybody played, and everyone enjoyed music. I think the enjoyment in our house was split right down in the middle between a hot game of pinochle or poker and a jam session, it, you know, in equal measure. Um, but my mom had um, a blue three-ring binder of country music lyrics, um, some of which she cut out of a magazine called Country Song Roundup. I don't know if you remember that magazine. Um, but the other, the rest of the lyrics were handwritten by her as she'd sit and listen. She would, she would, you know, tape songs off of 61 Country or KFKF 
out of Kansas City or wherever she was listening to the radio, she had a cassette recorder and she would record a song and play it back over and over and try to discern what the lyrics were and write them out and learn the song and sing it. And um, I think my first understanding about that it's that all singers don't write their songs and all songwriters don't sing their songs. Mm-hmm. I think that was because of my mother's deep and passionate respect for the craft of songwriting. And I, I for sure 100% would not be doing this job, uh, would not have fallen in love with music or found my aptitude for songwriting and, and singing and making records and entertainment were it not for my mom. Well, it was that influence along with your individual talent and some other pieces falling in place for you that have led you to do some pretty big things, including winning the ACM Award for Best New Female Vocalist in 1994. How did it feel to get that done? Yeah. You know, my whole my whole childhood, I I we gathered around the TV when the CMAs were on or the ACMs were on or any kind of awards uh, ceremony. That was a family affair to watch that. We didn't watch the pop music awards. We didn't watch. I don't even think we watched the Grammys or the Billboard awards. We watched the Country Music Awards, and I, I mean, obviously, you know, it was part of my dream to make it in country music. I wanted to be on the Grand Ole Opry. I wanted to be on the radio. I wanted to make records and tour. Um, but I almost didn't even dare. I, it felt a little too, um, I don't know, felt a little shallow or a little um, betraying of the art, if I were to say, I, I hope I win one of those awards one day. But But I can't tell you that I didn't privately have those thoughts. I didn't talk about that, those aspirations. I mean, my family would, we'd watch the award show and my family would say, you're going to be up there someday. And I, you know, I, I would, I would hope it, but I wouldn't say, yeah, I'm going to do it. Or you, I'm going to write my speech now. It was just almost something that it felt wrong to even dream about. And then, you know, lo and behold, I got it, put a couple of records out there and my, my, it happened after my first record, which didn't have any commercial success. I mean, we did, I, I don't even know how many copies we sold, but it wasn't that many. Um, but I did get that nomination. And I recall my record label, I asked my label and my managers, what are we going to do you know, to with this nomination? How are we going to build on this? And, and they, one, somebody at the label said, what, you don't think you could win that? And I said, well, aren't we going to try? And they said, oh, there's no way you'll win that. And they explained then at that point block voting and how powerful labels do certain things and how, you know, the, the, how there was no way I was going to win it, which was kind of a relief going into the, into the event, kind of just to know I don't have to prepare a speech. There's no way I'm going to win. I don't really even need to be that nervous. Um, and my family was all back home in Kansas watching it and, and I just, I went to the awards show knowing, you know, it just really is great to be nominated. That's a big deal, especially when you, you know, haven't broken the top 40 on the chart. And I, it was commercial break, and, and they were about to, Dick Clark had, had shouted out to the audience, you know, uh, you know, take your places, we're out of commercial in 30 seconds. And, you know, Dick ran a tight ship on those award shows. <laughs> and Barbara Mandrell, whom I'd, I'd known for years, was seated across the aisle, and we were about 30 seconds to to coming out of commercial and she said Shelly come here and I went over and I leaned down next to her and she grabbed my hand she said you know the feeling and and Dick had also said next up is new artist new female artist award take your seats take your seats 
Barbara grabbed my hand and she said, I want to tell you something. You know this feeling you have right now? And I said, yeah. And she said, this excitement that you have right now, remember it. It's never going to be better than this. And I just, I squeezed her hand and she said she loved me and I told her I loved her and I sat in my seat. And when I won, when they announced me as the winner, I looked over at her and she just coyly just kind of nodded and winked at me. (laughs) And I don't know if she knew I was about to win it. I don't know what she knew, but I know that, you know, those great mentors, those, those people who went before us, they, they love to see the new up and comers. They love to see it happening for them. And I'll never forget uh, that Barbara gave me that that kind of little bit of tidbit of advice right there. How cool is that? Uh, do you remember who you were up against for that award? I do. I was up against two fine, fine singer-songwriters, uh, Victoria Shaw and Lisa Brokop. Okay. And Lisa, Lisa had had, I think she'd broken into the top 20 at the time. She actually, or maybe the, maybe she had, I definitely know she was having higher charting records than I was having and so did Vic, so was Victoria. They were all doing better than I was, and you know maybe they're maybe somehow their boat got split. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not saying I didn't deserve it. I, we all deserved it. Any, anybody who you know puts a record out and does the work that we were all three doing out there, beating up the road and radio tours, and uh, we were working really hard. Um, so I was glad to get the award, and and it will always mean a lot to me. And it will. I think the thing that was most exciting for me was that my band and crew who had been with me for a while, um, I, I loved getting that award for all of us because we're, we were out there putting in a lot of work and I loved it for my family too. I, I loved knowing that they were all gathered over at my aunt Shara's house in Kansas city. And, you know, they were on the edge of their seats because I didn't tell them that my label said there's no way I could win. I didn't tell them, them that going into it. They sat there on that couch watching my name be called and uh, watching, you know, watching something come true that they'd always uh, envisioned and hoped for.